Let's go to a naysayer, Bart. Hey, naysayer, Bart, thanks for listening on KGMI. What's on your mind? Lars Larson, how are you, sir? I'm Just doing quite well. your show, as always. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about taxes. See, but then by the time I get to you, you're talking about other stuff. That's that all right. My attention. That's all right. We, like, we we can talk uh, taxes. You know, it, it's a good plan. The president. Yeah. It's a. I don't th- say it's the best tax plan. It's, a, it's not. It's not a good plan. There's no good plan that the president put out there. Just just first of all, simply simply doing away with the uh, inheritance tax alone is going to save his family a billion bucks. It, it'll president also Trump save a lot of family Trump. farms and family businesses. Agreed. Well, that's cool. But let me ask you. Let me ask you this: Do you agree that, say, the 1950s era was when the middle class was born in America? I guess we could define it that way because if you go back to the 1900s, Americans were, from for the most part, fairly poor. I mean, the average American lived in a you know like a 12 by 12 room that was their sure. whole house. So yeah, I mean, I mean right after Social World War Security, II, I mean, after World War II, folks, it came about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. And I urge your listeners, because I'm the kind of guy, like like I've told you before, you will be surprised at the things that you and I, a Democrat, agree upon, because there's a lot of things. But I'm the kind of guy that when I pick a subject, I try to... But i got to get you to get to the point, because we're burning a lot of daylight. Where are we going? Yeah. I urge everyone to look up the history of the tax, uh, the federal taxes in the United States. They started in 1912. Okay, hold on. Now you're giving me the history of Western Civ. Let's get to this point. Is America better off with lower tax rates or the current higher tax rates? Well, that's kind of a tricky subject. Now, no, not at all. Look at the 1950s, the highest tax rate, because there's different brackets, large, and the highest tax bracket, which at the time was in the 90s, uh, $4,000 yep. with 91%. That's right. Now, I propose a tax plan that taxes that high, but say bump it up to like $5 million. Change that tax bracket at $5 million. However, for anyone who is creating a job, uh, insuring an employee, all, no, no taxes on, uh, on paying for your employees, that's all completely tax-exempt money. And that is well, what it is right do. now. It is right now. If, if I ran a business that took in $10,000 and I had one employee that I paid $10,000 to, I would have no income in my business, and my business would pay no taxes. The guy who made $10,000 would pay taxes on that. That's currently the case already. Well, and you'd have to pay, you'd have to pay his taxes as well. Well, hold but, on. Uh, no, no, there's a problem with that. So if, if the, that guy had taxes of $2,500 and I paid him that, the government would say, now you're paying him twelve fifty. His tax bill just went up. There's no way to do that. So tell me this. Why do you want to punish? I'm not in the $5 million category. Why do you want to punish, though, everybody who's been the most successful in America, who have, by the way— um, I, I can't think of a single person who's become wealthy, you know, like the Steve Jobs, the uh, Jeff Bezos, people like that. None of those people become wealthy without creating huge amounts of jobs at almost every level of income. I'm sure Bezos has somebody who answers phones and makes $35,000 a year and somebody else who's an engineer who makes 200000 a year and somebody right. else who's an executive. This, why why tax the daylights out of it? those who have been – and I understand your question – this is nothing about punishing those who have become yeah, it is. successful. When I was a kid growing up, I didn't ever even hear the word billion. We have more billionaires in America today. That's a than good ever. thing. And why I'll is that a bad why. thing? Because no. guys, let me explain why. Because guys like 
Donald Trump and Ivanka Trump, they export the jobs right out of America. Now, he's going to try to That's baloney. I I want to tell you something. But hold on, hold on. Bart, Phil Knight became a billionaire. Almost every job making the shoes, which are usually pretty low-paid jobs, are overseas. Always have been with Nike. But an awful lot of people design shoes here in America. There are lots of jobs in America that are tied to Nike that are very good-paying jobs. And he wouldn't be he wouldn't have sold the number of shoes he's made uh, sold if he built them here in the United States. So is he an evil guy because he became a billionaire by creating an awful lot of wealth and jobs in America while also doing some manufacturing overseas? It was a great marketing strategy is what it was. And uh, he doesn't he doesn't didn't need to become a uh, Bart. You were just describing, as we headed into break, a, an argument that is familiar to me because it was once advanced by the great former Chicago constitutional professor, B. Hussein Obama, who once famously said, there is a point where, where you've made enough money. Now, he's on the path, we're told, to you know, making about a quarter billion dollars, $250 million, sometime in the next 15 years or so. So apparently Barack Obama's definition of what is enough money uh, is has have considerably expanded since his tenure in the White House. So I'm wondering, when you say nobody needs to make $5 million or $10 million or become a billionaire, can you tell me who's going to define how much you need to have and why would any American want its government that's supposed to serve them to tell them, you've earned enough, stop earning? It's it's not a matter of defining who's made enough. I mean, that isn't where I was going at all. Where are you what going? It's a matter of is we live in a country with a consumer-based economy, and the wealthiest, all the money is filtering straight up into the pockets of the wealthiest, and it is unsustainable. That's what I'm talking about. And I talk about Donald Trump. You know, Donald Trump stood on the stage at the podium one day, and he explained that the reason he has companies in 23 different countries, by the way, as he stood there in his suit made in Mexico and cussed Oreo for exporting jobs to Mexico, he said the reason he does that is because he can't afford the tax rate in America. And I say that is absolutely disingenuous because these companies are not even paying that tax rate. In fact, what I say is he don't have the stones to come right out and say, I'm not going to pay an American a living wage because that would put an end to me being so filthy flipping rich that I have the power that controls the government. That's what I say. Well, he doesn't. He didn't control the government during most of the time that he was making all that money. And now that he's become certainly said he certainly said that he knows how it works because he's bought his share of politicians. Yeah, and he probably right. has. And so, those were his words, by the way. Bart, yeah. every labor union out there has bought its share of politicians. Every teacher's union. And I agree with that, too, and I don't want a dime of that money well, going to our politicians. I want that. I want absolute reform. And the GOP shoved Citizens United down our throats and called that vote and called that. Bart, uh, Bart uh, hold, up, hold up a second. It was a lie. Do you know what Citizens United does? I mean, I really wonder if people know. They, they throw that out as a bumper sticker. But do you know what it says? Well, it, for one thing, it opens up the gates for something called, uh, oh, I just, my mind just went blank. That's super all right. Packs. And when you have a super pack. Well, but Bart, Bart, stop. No, stop. Bart, Bart. Bart, hold on. But you're using this, Bart. 
you're using, you always assume it has to be the biggest, and it has to be the biggest example of it. Let me give you an example. You and I and a bunch of like, well, you and I are different politically, but if we all got together and said we have a common interest, it could be fly fishing, it could be hunting, it could be sports, it could be anything. And we get together and we say we really want to have the government change some of the rules so that our interest can be benefited. No matter what the interest is, it could be the Sierra Club, the NRA, it could be Friends of the Earth, it could be Friends of Lost Puppies, anything you want. But we get together and we say we would like to buy some messages during a campaign. And and they have to be not aimed at any one candidate. They have to be issue-oriented uh, messages. And that's what Citizens United was about. So if you do that, you and I get together and we say, we'd like to raise some money so that we can buy a billboard or two, so that we can have something to say during the, you know, the gubernatorial race or legislative races or the presidential race. Do you think the government should limit your ability to raise and spend money to get your point across? That seems that seems like First Amendment 101 is that Americans are allowed to do that, not just as individuals, but we can get together as groups because we have lots of groups that represent lots of interests. The ACLU ostensibly protects civil liberties. The Sierra Club protects the, the plants but, but and the fuzzy Mark, creatures. You're, you're, I mean, you're a historian. Why don't you give the founding fathers the credit that they deserve back when uh, corporations were so controlled, they were given charters, and when their job was done, the charter was dissolved, and it was illegal for any politician to you know, take Bart, a I've dime actually, from a corporation. I've actually looked at the history of that. Before we created the ability, before we created the ability to have corporations, America had a very small number of companies, and you know why? The reason was that if you formed a company. And you said, we're going to go out and buy things and sell things. The inevitable result is some of those companies will go bankrupt. And when they do, should you say to anybody who owns a company, even if it's I, a local. I, I have to disagree because I'll tell you, you can follow corporations all the way back to the time and the king. And the king actually was wise. No, there was a period. There was if a... you let any one entity become that powerful, they're going to become more powerful than the government that governs them. And that is okay. where we live you're today. Not, you're not listening, though. There was a period of time where America did not have corporations. You know, you can go back to England and say, well, there were the same kind of thing there. But I'm saying America had a period, and I've read it, economists have written about it, until we created the ability to have a limited liability corporation so that a company could do big enterprises. It's tough to do more than just a little general store if you can't be a company that's capable of— Go ahead. You reminded me of another great point, because (laughs) while we're on the subject, let's talk about mom-and-pop businesses. Yeah. You know, mom and pop businesses make the most of jobs in America, but what most people don't know is those mom and pop, pop businesses are really huge corporations that just spread those businesses out so they get all the tax breaks. And I mean, what? I'm completely anti corporation. Oh, 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 stop, 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 stop. stop. Southland Corporation is a big corporation that owns a bunch of mom-and-pop stores called 7-Eleven. But there are also mom-and-pop stores that are little teeny corporations where a husband and wife or a family owns one or two convenience stores, and they build up wealth. Well, sure there are. Okay, so there are. But what's but wrong with that? the same exact tax rate as these little businesses that— uh, And what's— uh, Bart, what's wrong with that? Others, you know? Bart, what's wrong with that? Disingenuous. It's absolutely How disingenuous. is it disingenuous? Somebody wants to... ...that are just going to affect these little corporations. So? It's, it's just not true. It's uh, like Citizens United. Okay. It was anything but 
Citizens United. Bart, you want to take away you want to take away my ability to get together with a group of friends and say we'd like to put some money together. No, I don't. What I want to do is I want to take away the. I I don't want to take away that ability. What I want to take away is the necessity for a politician to raise a billion dollars to run for president. Stop for a second. That's what I listen listen for a second. America spends about three billion dollars a year on bubble gum on chewing gum. All right. Every couple of years, every four years, we spend now closer to five or six billion dollars on a presidential race. So we spend in one year on a presidential race every four about the amount of money that we spend in two years, every two years on chewing gum. If you want to communicate to a country as big as ours, you know, with 330 million people, all of whom have different interests and different likes and dislikes, and that we're spread out all the way from Maine to Honolulu, and you say, run a campaign for president for less than this amount of money, a bi- so let's say a billion dollars, because we had seven, 17 candidates on the Republican side, and they really had three on the Democrat side. You know, I um, know. It was like a clown show. It, it was, was a clown show. So clown when you have 20 people— when you have 20 people running for president in a country this big where it costs money to put TV, radio, social, uh, uh, you know, the social media and all that together, how do you do that for $1.95? Because you seem to think and it can I be done. I have no problem with the fact that it costs money either. The simple fact of the matter is I have a problem with the fact that one entity can push most of that money in. Um, you they know, can't. The, uh, the, uh, the people, the prince, you mean? The prince of Saudi Arabia donated money, I believe, to Hillary Clinton, actually. Uh, so I don't want any of your listeners to think I'm a Clinton fan. Well, but uh, how could you be? Because he can. He can donate it to these super PACs. And if you're not going to admit that these super PACs well, I, uh, are, I mean, they're definitely I think, one way. Well, no, Bart. What I'm leaning toward is the U.S. Supreme Court said that is how we engage in free speech. And even the super PACs have limitations on what they can do. But... I'm not interested in taking away First Amendment free speech rights either from individuals who are Americans or from groups of Americans. And on that note, I'm going to have to break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show.